Good morning. It's, uh, it's an honor to be invited to join you this morning. And uh, I want to just say that I, I think getting to know Justin over the last six months has just become a highlight thus far for 2022 for me. Because when I'm, when I'm meeting a pastor, I, I always pay attention to the impression that the pastor leaves upon me regarding his local church. How does he speak of his elders? How does he speak of his church? Does he respect people? Is he excited about God's work within his local church? And, and I'm just so pleased to say that, that, that meeting Justin and hearing Justin and hearing his enthusiasm for, for the work of God here and see, seeing also his heart expressed for pastors in this area who he gathers together quarterly, and I've had the opportunity to jump in on a couple of those meetings. All of that has only deepened my excitement over the opportunity to worship with you this morning. And to have Kim, my, my wife, and our grandson, Jace, as well, who's back in children's ministry, join you, too. So thank you so much for your kind introduction, and thank you for receiving us so warmly today. And now, far more important than any, any introductions is our attention to the Word of God. So if you would open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'd like to read beginning in verse 7 through verse 12 in a message that I've entitled, The Clay Pot Conspiracy. The Clay Pot Conspiracy. Beginning in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we come before your holy word, humbled today. Because we realize there's nothing significant that's going to take place unless you visit us, unless you grant us clarity and understanding through the work of the Spirit. 
And Lord, we long to see you. We long to understand how this passage makes a claim upon our life. We we long to understand how it should how it should look tomorrow as we wake up and how we should be applying it this week. So we pray now that you would grant us that kind of insight and clarity in your word through your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. In 1947, a young Bedouin shepherd was on a hill near the Dead Sea, and he was distracted long enough for one of his little lambs to kind of go wandering off from the flock. Upon realizing that he was gone, he immediately went in search for the animal, and he found himself among the limestone cliffs on the northwest rim of the Dead Sea. And while he was searching in that area, he found a cave, and the cave was kind of tucked away in a hillside. And being a teenager, he did what teens often do when they discover caves. He picked up a rock off the ground, and he threw it into the mouth of the cave. And he did so never expecting that the next sound that he would hear would be that of a clay pot breaking. Intrigued by what he had just heard, he slowly crawled into the cave opening where the young shepherd found this row of large clay jars. And popping the lid on each one, he discovered in them these ancient scrolls. Some of them were wrapped in linen, some of them were just blackened with age. And little did he know that at that moment, he would be remembered in history as having discovered one of the greatest archaeological finds in the 20th century, the Dead Sea Scrolls. A discovery of incomprehensible value, yet stored in clay pots. A treasure in jars of clay. Now that story forms a great metaphor for Paul's point and the point he's seeking to deliver to the Corinthians, and by the way, to us as well, through this section of Scripture. One point that I believe has enormous significance for the era in which we are in right now, where our world is being violently shaken by extraordinary events. I mean, you just look over the last couple of years and we have this unforeseen pandemic, tumultuous political developments, racial climate, the inflation, war in Ukraine. And the reality is these are not actually the end of the turbulence because if we subscribe the idea to the idea of Jesus coming back, regardless of what your perspective is on eschatology, Everyone shares this idea that the world is going to grow darker, which means the world is going to grow more difficult, more complicated. And we have to locate ourselves in that. We have to figure out who we are in that. 
Because the answer can't just be resolution. In other words, well, I just need to get through, I just need to gut it out and get through this season. Season. The answer must be resilience. It must be who we are becoming in each season, how we are engaging God in each season. And so the question we're going to explore this morning is, how can our vision of life as Christians form around that goal, form around the goal of resilience? Which returns us to the words of Paul. Now, if you study 2 Corinthians at all, you know something of the context. Paul has this opposition party in the Corinthian church. And the mission of this group, this group of super apostles, was to win the Corinthians over to themselves. Their their strategy was to attack and discredit Paul. In other words, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And honestly, in many ways, Paul was something of an easy target. I mean, tradition has it that Paul was an unattractive man. He was afflicted with some kind of eye condition, which is why they may have said in Galatians chapter 4, when he said in Galatians chapter 4, if you could have, you would have plucked your eyes out and given them to me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, his detractors say that not only is he weak in appearance, but his speech is unskilled. He's utterly inept. You see, when Paul walked into a room, he hardly cut an imposing figure. He was too plain, too contemptible, too weak. So Paul is required to make a defense, and here's the basis of the defense that he gives. Paul says, to the charge of, that I'm insufficient, I say, guilty. To the charge that I'm an unskilled orator, I say, guilty again. To the charge that I am a weak man, let me say it one final time, I am guilty. And this is his argument. This is the logic of his defense. Paul says, you think my weakness has disqualified me. So he's saying this both to the Corinthians and to the opposition party. He's saying, you think my weakness has disqualified me. But what you don't understand is that my weakness is actually my credentials. Because it is the ground of God's power in my life. Because when my weakness meets God's power, strength abounds. It's the clay pot conspiracy. Now, I know that word conspiracy kind of has dark overtones, but but what I'm trying to say is that it, it reveals God's hidden plan to kind of sabotage the enemy, to display the power of Almighty God. It's, it's God's secret design to humble the proud, to abolish boasting, and to inspire resilience within His people. It's God's secret design to help us finish well. It's the clay pot conspiracy. And it's as simple as this. My weakness plus God's power equals a durable life. A durable life. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. 
Because there's two different strategies in this conspiracy, two strategies that give us a kind of hopeful resilience or that give us a a durable life. And I want to talk to you about both of them. Strategy number one is store treasure in clay. And strategy number two is make death produce life. So let's go back to strategy number one. Store treasure in clay. Back to verse 7. But we have treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Okay, so let's just address the obvious question. What, What is this treasure Paul is talking about? Well, I think to answer that, we've got to actually go up to the first seven verses of this section. We didn't read it, but let me just reference it, because the treasure is, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4, the treasure is the ministry that Paul received by the mercy of God, and then it's amplified a little bit more in verse 6, to show the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul's talking about nothing more than the gospel ministry that had been entrusted to him, and oh, by the way, it's the same gospel ministry that's been entrusted to each one of us as well. Paul is talking about the incomparable and transformational message of the Savior who left glory and died to save sinners. He's talking about the good news that we all share, that we can be salt and light within the culture in which God has placed us. And so that's what he's talking about. Now, get ready for the mind bender, because Paul says that incomprehensible treasure is stored in jars of clay. I mean, there's a shocking contrast that Paul puts out there. Infinite value stowed in clay jars. Actually, let's just jump over to the clay jars part. What's meant by that? Well, the clay jars are our bodies, our, our minds. We are the receptacle. We are the clay pots. Clay jars, back when this was being written, they were the common pots in all homes. Think, think about... Think about earthenware. Think about the jars that were used for cooking or eating or as containers or as bedpans even. Yeah, 2 Timothy 2, verse 20, Paul says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also vessels of wood and clay, some for honorable use, and some for dishonorable use. Guess what? The clay jars were for dishonorable use. I mean, we're talking about basically baked dirt. Just, just think about those, those kind. Think about the, the red disposable cups that may have filled your college career. Think about Chinese food containers after takeout, after they're emptied out. Think about that which is, is delicate, common, fragile, powerless, breakable. That, where the, that, that which is the, the chief value is in what it holds. It's in being a container. God says, you got all that in your mind? Is all that booted up on your mental screen? 
God says, that's Paul. And by the way, that's you. And that's me as well. You are the clay jars that store my treasure. Now, don't miss the irony here. I mean, just think about how, how we go about storing that which we perceive as valuable. I mean, we have cash, we put it in the bank. You got a nice car, you put it in the garage. You have jewels, well, you probably put them under lock and key somewhere. When I was seven years old, we lived across the street from a gravel parking lot. I grew up in Pittsburgh. Gravel parking lot across the street. And uh, my brother's over there. And he, and he yells to me across the street, Dave, come here. I want to show you something. And so I ran over, and, and he had his hand closed, and he opens his hand up real slow. And in his hand was a gold nugget. Or at least what looked like a gold nugget. I didn't see all the spray paint, you know, the, all the gold spray paint cans that were like littered around his legs there. And I'm like, whoa, where'd you get that? And he said, right here, man. Right here, this lot is full. And I said, aren't people going to come and just pick them up? He said, I bought the lot, man. And he said, and, and, he said, and because you're my brother... I'm going to give you this gold nugget. He took it out of his hand. And I remember him placing it in my hand. And I remember it landing there. And I'm looking at it. And I'm realizing now I had in my hand something infinitely precious. And so what I did is I ran up into the house and upstairs. And I got out a shoebox. And I wrapped it in duct tape. Because I realized, that, and every kid knows, that duct tape is impregnable to burglars. They can never get through the duct tape. And just to be, because I was real clever, I stored it in the bottom drawer of my dresser. Because what criminal would ever think of going into the bottom drawer of my dresser to get my treasure? Because I thought I had it, I wanted it locked up. I knew I had something precious. I wanted it locked up. It was a treasure. I wanted to store it in the safest place I could find it. Here's what God says. God says, actually, step one of my conspiracy, I'm going to store my treasure in clay. I'm going to store my treasure in something that's messy. I'm going to store my tray in something that gets broken regularly. And the brokenness that is imposed upon it is actually going to work with the treasure, and the treasure is going to work through the brokenness. And we say, God, why are you doing it that way? He says, oh, it's very simple. Verse 7, to show the surpassing power belongs to me and not to you. It's the clay pot conspiracy. See, the Corinthian troublers, they, they can't see this. They can't see this because they're only accustomed to looking on the outside of people. So they assume the treasure is always stored in something strong. Their idea of ministry is my strength plus God's power equals durable ministry, which does nothing more than magnify our strength. And I wish I could tell you I, I, I can't relate to that. I I can fall into that myself. 
I mean, can't we all? Isn't this one of the reasons why we can work so hard to avoid talking about our weaknesses, our temptations, the areas where the pot is a little cracked? I mean, just recently I had, I had blood pressure issues, and the blood pressure issues just triggered a number of other things. And I, I felt so stupid talking about it to people. I found myself like reluctant to share it with others. You know, you know when you live, work in the church planting world that is just filled with millennials and Gen Xers, you don't want to be the boomer telegraphing all of your heart deterioration, all of your health deterioration. You don't want to be that guy who's basically bringing the health update when they're talking about the churches that they're being, being planted. And and yet I thought about it, and I realized that, you know, it's just, it's just my pride. It's nothing more than my pride. I just want them to see the pot nice and shiny. I just want to be that, that unbroken guy in the movie that's holding up the log and screaming, defying death. Sometimes I just want to kind of polish the pot rather than acknowledge the cracks. But here's the challenge. People dedicated to polishing the pot don't really get the treasure that it holds. People dedicated to to polishing the pot don't really understand the treasure that it holds. Because God's looking to use our lives to make the treasure magnificent, not the pot. It's the treasure that's being made magnificent by being placed in us, not the pot. And I guess, I guess that makes me want to ask you, like, who knows where, where you are feeling broken right now? Or, or let me flip it around a little bit and ask it this way. When was the last time someone pointed out where your life needs some attention where your pot may be smudged a little bit or maybe cracked a little bit. You know, Justin and I were talking about um, Carl Truman's book, Triumph of the Modern Self. And, and part of the triumph of the modern self in the church is, the, is, is in the loss of the practice of correction and admonition and reproof. We don't mind the encouragement part, but the Word of God itself is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction. So there's this whole other side where we're supposed to be engaging in community with one another, where there's actually not just encouragement, not just prayer, and those are great, but there's also this other side where we're, ref- we're refining one another and growing together and helping each other see weaknesses and through reproof and through correction. The challenge is that our view of self, our view of the pot, is becoming so elevated now that it doesn't even happen in the church. You know, one of the best measures, I think, of humility is whether we create an environment, first in our family, where our where our spouse and our kids feel like they can make observations about the pot. Can they correct the pot? Whether we can create a culture around us in our friendships and in our neighborhood where people can actually make a comment on where the pot needs to improve. 
and whether we make it easy for others or whether we just always need to be polishing the pot. You know, just going through life polishing the pot. Can't let anybody see the scratches. Can't let, it, let anybody see the smudges. Just want to polish the pot. Because where that happens and where that's true, we're actually embracing a whole other conspiracy. It's a con- conspiracy that says, my virtue plus God's power equals a durable life. And that's why the first strategy that God gives here in 2 Corinthians 4 is to store treasure in clay. Now that moves us to the second one. Second strategy, which is make death produce life. Make death produce life. So back to the context. These these intruders into the Corinthian church are, are boasting of their power. They're boasting of the triumphs of their leadership. And so what Paul does is he says, okay, so let me share now that I have the microphone. Let me share. And I, wanna, I, want, I want you to hear a little slice of my life in ministry. And then Paul does, does this. He provides a series of four contrasts. And we're going to read these together. But I want you to listen because each one is intentionally designed to display how the experience of weakness reveals the presence of power. Each one intentionally designed to display how the experience of weakness reveals the presence of power. One commentator said, this is one of the grandest rhetorical moments in Paul's writing. As he begins in verse 8, he says, quote, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Let's just walk through this for a second. Afflicted. We are afflicted in every way. Afflicted means, it means pressured. It means being squeezed. You know, afflicted in every way probably feels a lot like the last two years, doesn't it? Just afflicted in so many different ways. Afflicted can be that anxious feeling that I have and you have too sometimes when you just feel like there are too many fires burning and you just can't get to them all. You can't manage all of the things in your life that need to be managed, and it begins to collapse back on you, and you feel that, that sense of affliction. You know, maybe you had a week like that just this past week. Paul says, yeah, okay, I get that. Paul says, that's life for me. I am squeezed, but by no means squashed. And he goes on, I'm perplexed, but not driven to despair. You, know, you ever have that feeling of, of being cornered and baffled. You know, that, that sense that we all live with where, where life consistently delivers complexities that are beyond our ability to easily remedy. That life delivers these complexities that are beyond our experience. 
You say, Dave, I, I get it completely. I'm a, I'm a parent, and I've got four kids, and they're at home, and we don't know what to do. Or I have adult children, and the problems are adult problems. And I live feeling baffled and stupid and inept and like, and like I don't know what I'm doing. Paul says, yes, yes, you're getting it. You're understanding it. You're perplexed. But you're sustained. You're not driven to despair. He moves on and says, persecuted, but not forsaken. This is Paul saying he's leading in the absence of support and in the presence of opposition. Does that well describe your life right now? Absence of support, presence of opposition. Yet I love the way he responds to it. He says, yet never forsaken. Never forsaken. I I marvel at that. Because so often for me, I'll be honest with you, so often for me, I go from my flaws to I'm forsaken. My failures to I'm forsaken. My foibles to I'm forsaken. And yet Paul knew his Savior. He knew Christ was forsaken so that he would never be forsaken. That Jesus cried upon the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that Paul would never be alone. So that you would never be alone. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And then lastly, he says, struck down, but by no means destroyed. And by the way, in this particular phrase, this is not a figurative persecution like Paul was dissed on social media or something like that. Struck down here literally means whacked with a weapon. And, and, and Paul had that experience. He, he had enemies attack him and slander him and beat him to near death with rods. And we don't know exactly what he's referring to here. I mean, it may have been the Acts 14 thing where he's stoned and he's dragged outside of Lystra, left for dead. But here's the point of these contrasts. Here's the point, and, and, and this is where it hits home for us. Your roles are are a life in a clay jar. So your roles, you're, you're here and you're a husband, or you're a wife, or a grandparent, or a parent, or you're an entrepreneur, or you're a nurse. Your roles are life in a clay jar. And in that life in a clay jar, you will experience being afflicted and baffled and persecuted and struck down. But this is happening because, to use the words of Paul in verse 10, that the death of Jesus that we carry in our bodies, that, so that you will experience the death of Jesus being carried in your bodies. Why? Verse 10, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This is powerful. Don't don't miss what's being said here. See, the point here is not your parenting, your your job, you you know, it's all death. Get over it. That's not what's being said here. No, where Paul was going is he's saying, your trials, your challenges, your persecutions, your afflictions, the areas that you're crushed, they will help you to embody the gospel message. 
Those places, those, those very areas where the Spirit of God is bringing up in your mind and putting something on your mental screen as, as we're reading this passage and talking about this passage, those very areas are places where God experiences or where God triggers experiences of death in you so that life might flow both in you and through you. This life that we've been given as Christians is a series of crucifixions where, oh, I mean, we could just fill in the blank from there, where, where, where your kids see you maligned and not retaliate. Where there are sleepless nights, but you carry on. Where you are lashed by events but you bear them. See, this is what Paul is saying. We are afflicted, baffled, persecuted, and struck down, but not crushed, despairing, forsaken, or destroyed. Yes, we have that whole first category, afflicted, baffled, persecuted, and struck down, but we're not crushed. We're not despairing. We're not forsaken. We're not destroyed. We're these seasons that can be described by verse 11. We who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. God says that's, that's the conspiracy. And it's a conspiracy of kindness to you. It's a conspiracy where you're going to grow as a result, where you're going to understand me in a whole new way, where you're going to understand what the cross and what the gospel really is in your own life, where you're going to embody that, where you're going to be able to proclaim it with so much more poignancy because of what I've done in your life. But here's the million-dollar question. I mean, like, why? Why this way? I feel this. You know, when verse 12 says, death is at work in us, but life in you, I believe that. But, but the question that can kind of torment me is, is why? Why does it have to be like that, Lord? And if we just confine the answer to that question to this passage, I think one answer that does emerge is this that there is, there is a way where as a result of those experiences that our perseverance reveals God's power. Our perseverance reveals God's power. Treasure is placed in clay jars for this reason. Back to, back to verse 7. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's where he started in verse 7, and then came the contrast, the series of contrasts, where the point of each one of those contrasts is basically, yes, this happens, but we're not tapping out. Yes, this problem occurred, but we're not giving up. Yes, this calamity took place, but we keep going. The power of God is revealed in our perseverance, but it's not our power, it's His power. Oh, we, we want it to be our power. I want it to be my power. I mean, I think deep down, we, lo- we all long to have our life and our decisions testify about something concerning us. 
testify to the reality and the substance of our power. But the problem is our souls just can't bear the weight of of the kind of glory that belongs only to the treasure, the kind of glory that belongs only to God. You see, the the challenge for believers is we kind of signed on to something where we thought life was going to be hard. It's kind of like we say, you know, I thought life was going to be hard. I just didn't think it was going to be impossible without grace. Because when the clay pot is strong, my leadership says so much about me. But the reality is that once the clay pot is broken, it says so much more about God. And so God says, here's the program. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not, period, to, period, us, period. Because the clay pot conspiracy reveals that power is rooted not in our ability, but in our inability. Not in our ability, but in God's ability. And so, here's the program. God says, let me unfold for you the program. God breaks the pot to free the power. He breaks the pot to free the power. Your weaknesses, your struggles, those places that are in your mind right now, the very place that your mind is going. Paul says in verse 10, I carry death for this reason, that life of God, that the life of God may be manifested in me. I mean, what have the past two years been, except for God breaking a lot of clay pots throughout the church, throughout the world? Think of the confusion, the exhaustion, the, the incessant questioning, the suspicion. God is... God is breaking pots because He's preparing us to to free the power. And this is not how we tend to think about God. No. No, we, we, we come into the kingdom thinking that the kingdom advances by strong people using amazing gifts to create epic fruit. And God looks down and He says, nah, not really. No. No. In fact, when I bid folks to follow me, I invite them to come and die. And when I want the gospel to ring out of their life, I break the pot to free the power. Verse 12, so death will be at work in us, but life in you. It's your death producing life. That's the clay pot conspiracy. Your death producing life. We need to tell people about this. I mean, we need to tell new Christians about this. This is what you signed on for. This is what it means to be a Christian. That your weakness is not an obstacle to the flourishing life. It's actually a condition for achieving it. And this is certainly not what we expected. And I understand that. I mean, maybe you're sitting out there right now saying, Dave, I don't get it. I don't understand. I, I used to be happy. I used to laugh. And I used to sleep at night. And it's not like that anymore. It's kind of like we're saying, 
I came in expecting, I came into this thing expecting that there would be hard work. I didn't come in expecting that there would be affliction and disorientation and persecution and feeling struck down. I was thinking about this the other day. If someone were to ask me about my biggest surprise as a believer since I was converted about 41 years ago, I think certainly in the top three would be that I never thought my strengths could be so dangerous and my weaknesses so glorious. I mean, who knew that that was the program? I never knew that my death would be the means of my most effective ministry. I never knew that. I never assumed that. I thought it would be primarily about my strengths. God says, no, actually, we're going to break the clay pot, and it's going to become more about your weaknesses. And it makes me want to, it makes me want to say to you this morning in the very areas that you're thinking about and, and reflecting over, it makes me want to say, don't, don't begrudge your places of death. Don't begrudge them. Because they are working in a thousand ways in your life, in your soul, accomplishing things that can be accomplished in no other way. They are preparing your heart to meet a Savior who was crucified on a cross, who has five bleeding wounds, and to make that moment far sweeter and beyond your wildest imagination because of what you've suffered here on earth. God is at work in some of these deaths to make each day in heaven more glorious because of what we have borne on earth. Actually, to make each day on earth, each day in your home, each day on your job more fruitful Because God is breaking the pot to free the power. And so it makes me want to appeal to you this morning. Don't default to an alternate conspiracy. Don't default to a conspiracy that says, my self-loathing plus God's power equals adorable life. Or don't chase the Pharisees' conspiracy that says, my morality plus God's power equals a durable life. Or the super apostles' conspiracy, which is my victories plus God's power, equals a durable life. Be honest with God. Be honest with others, because from the ashes of that darkness will come life. And yeah, your darkness may reveal many flaws about you, even sin areas about you, but, but God's conspiracy turns that around. He brings that death and makes it into life. Now, I, I, I know even as I stand here, there, I recognize that we hear these kinds of things and we say, Dave, actually, I've, I've been listening now for 40, 45 minutes and, and I, I don't get it. And, and I want to say to you, I don't get it either. I don't completely understand it all either. But I do know this, that this whole enterprise of Christianity was launched in the same clandestine manner. In other words, God didn't storm the earth from heaven. He didn't rain down shock and awe. 
He didn't marshal the angels to create this big marketing plan to make Jesus big so everybody would be aware of what's going on. No, Jesus left the glory of heaven and became a servant. He was arrested as a criminal. He was beaten like a felon. He was stripped naked and humiliated. He died the death of the cursed. His clay pot was broken for our sins. And then God raised him on the third day. In fact, I love the way Paul describes it in chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. He says, for he was crucified in weakness, but now lives by the power of God. See, Jesus took the worst that we could do to him, and he miraculously turned it around to the very best he could do for us. But here's the thing. To make much of that good news, to herald that good news, we must be willing to accept the the, the microphone that amplifies the message. See, the microphone that shouts the message is our weakness. It's not our strength. It's our weakness. It's the places where death in you produces life. You see, it's, it's through the clay pot breaking. Just, just as the shepherd boy did in those caves around the Dead Sea to find the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's through the clay pot breaking that we experience the persevering power that says so much more about the Savior than it can ever say about us. So it's my weakness plus God's power equals a durable life. It's the clay pot conspiracy. And it is magnificent. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You were crucified in weakness. And that You have called us. You have placed Your treasure in these jars of clay and called us to let this treasure shine from our lives and even break the pot to let the treasure shine. Lord, we pray that You would help us to give glory to You for the reality of what You're doing in our lives and how You're you're creating these situations and these circumstances, these pressures and and these trials, Lord, to, to prepare us to do good work on earth and to enjoy You in heaven. Lord, we thank You because Your wisdom is so great. And we pray that You would help us to continue rejoicing over these things in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.